Welcome to the O'Reilly Data Show. I'm your host, Ben Lorica. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to remind our listeners that we do have two event series that they can go and attend and learn more about the topics covered in this podcast. The first one is called the Strata Data Conference, which you can find at strataconf.com. The second one is the Artificial Intelligence Conference, which you can find at the AIconf.com. In this episode of today's show, I spoke with Farouk Porsabzi. She is a postdoctoral researcher at Microsoft Research in New York City. She works in a new area. It's an interdisciplinary area of interpretable and interactive machine learning. As models and algorithms become more widespread, and we find it in many, many more settings, there are many important considerations that are becoming active research areas. This includes fairness and bias, safety and reliability, security and privacy, and Farouk's area of focus, which is explainability and interpretability. We had a great conversation spanning many topics, uh, including the need for data scientists to start paying attention to uh, other disciplines, particularly in the social sciences and statistics. And by the way, uh, Farouk will be speaking at our upcoming AI conference in New York, where she will cover her recent research work on manipulating and measuring model interpretability. So I hope to meet you in person at our AI conference in New York this coming April. Farouk Porsabsi, postdoctoral researcher at Microsoft in New York City, Microsoft Research in New York City. Welcome to the Data Show. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So you studied computer science as an undergrad and in grad school. So have you always worked in data and machine learning? As an undergrad, I had taken artificial intelligence as a course, and I really enjoyed it. But then I started grad school and I wasn't really sure about which research area excites me the most. So I really took some time to explore other disciplines such as computational biology before starting to focus on machine learning. But I would say that uh, my work since grad school has mostly been interdisciplinary with data and machine learning being a big part of it. So during grad school, my research was at the intersection of machine learning, natural language processing, and human-computer interaction. So particularly, my goal was to augment the abilities of humans and models um, to help humans understand and make sense of the widely available data sets in the form of text. So we can think about social media posts or scientific text data or even congressional bills. So there, because I was dealing with text data, I needed NLP tools. And because my end goal was to help humans achieve a specific goal or complete a particular task, I needed the HCI knowledge and uh, methodologies. But in order to succeed in the goal of helping humans complete a task with the help of machine learning models, I had to always think about the notion of interpretability And these conversations around interpretability were always happening in our labs, me with my advisor and other collaborators. But it was only towards the end of my PhD that I started thinking more about interpretability itself. And I was really puzzled by it because I couldn't really figure out what it actually meant. To be clear, I still don't, but I have gained a lot more knowledge in the area. I don't either. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I knew it had a machine learning component to it, obviously, but it also most definitely had a human component to it as well. And then because after all, we want uh, or people were talking about making something interpretable to humans. And um, I spent a lot of time doing literature review and I was certain that there was a gap there. Um, So I started working on the issues around interpretability, focusing on the human aspect to basically how do humans perceive machine learning models or interact with these models, gain trust in these models. And this is also fundamentally an interdisciplinary area and um, has more of a psychology, cognitive science and social science flavor to it. But I still believe that one of the main audiences of these types of works are still machine learning researchers and practitioners. So let's take a step back because uh, some of our listeners may not follow these topics as closely as you or I do, particularly you. Um, so why is model interpretability important? Okay, so traditionally, machine learning models still very often are evaluated based on their predictive performance on held that data. Okay, so you have a data set, you train it on a subset of the data and evaluate it on another subset of data uh, that you didn't use for training. Okay, but good, and this is usually done in terms of some metrics such as accuracy, precision or recall and things like that. But good performance on held that data alone is usually not sufficient to convince an end user that the model is trustworthy or ethical or fair in practice. And the hell that data is usually not realistic when you are using machine learning to make decisions on real people in real scenarios. So perhaps not surprisingly, more recently, people have raised concerns with algorithmic decision-making in the critical domains. And so machine learning is not new, but it has really been around, it has been around for decades, but it has been applied at scale recently. So Right now, machine learning is making life-altering decisions in many critical domains. So you see models that are used to decide whether someone should be approved for a loan or not, or whether someone should be hired for a particular job, whether someone should be released on bail or not. They help doctors to make medical diagnoses. They help judges set bail amounts or assess defendants' likelihood to reoffend. But these models are not always the final decision makers. Machine learning models and humans usually make these types of critical decisions together. So it's important now more than ever to study humans and models jointly. So as a conference organizer, I noticed that uh, when it comes to this particular topic of model interpretability or explainability, the people who seem to propose talks tend to come from two domains, healthcare or finance. Those are seem to be the ones that... Uh, are particularly interested in, in in these topics right now. And as you explain, I think that uh, actually this will spread out to many, many other industries. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's it's very spread out right now. And I think that's one of the major concerns of people. And that's what has given rise to all these concerns around interpretability, as well as other issues around fairness and things like that. As you noted, so there's the notion of interpretability just from uh, fairness and compliance with transparency laws and whatever. But as you implied earlier, actually, there's also the implication with trust, because if the human users who tend to work with these systems are going to actually use them, they want to be able to kind of trust them somehow and being able to interpret 
the result encourages that. And then the other thing for that I've noticed recently is more people are also saying that, uh, you know, we need to understand how these systems work, because if we ever get in a jam and we need to audit for whatever reason, security audit or whatever, uh, we need we need more transparency. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that trust is a big part of it. A lot of, uh, if you look at the papers or the papers that talk about interpretability or the tools that people design to improve interpretability of machine learning models, being able to gain trust in these models is a big motivation. But it's really a big question at the moment that is it really the case that if your model is interpretable, whatever that would mean, people would trust it more. Definitely, there are a lot of interpretability methods out there, but do all of them equally help you to gain trust in a model? Sometimes, uh, is it possible that these models may uh, or these methods may lead to overtrust in the model in the cases that you shouldn't really trust them? So these are all questions that I think still are open questions. And if you don't think about them in terms of a human being in the loop and being a big part of it, they're just impossible to answer. So there's another term in the space that occurs and arises a lot in, in conjunction with model interpretability, and that's this notion of explainability. And coincidentally, actually, I came across a survey paper recently for that kind of finally uh, made this distinction clear to me. And I'll run it by you, and uh, mm-hmm. let me uh, let me see what you think. So interpretability is, as we expect, it's being able to describe the internals of a system in a way that is understandable to humans. So that's one aspect. And then they say there's another aspect, which is this notion of completeness, which is uh, an explanation is more complete if it applies to many more situations. So I guess in the case of, let's say, a deep neural network in deep learning, uh, completeness means a complete explanation that you know, all the way down to whatever the mathematical operations and parameters of the system. So then uh, they say then in in the survey paper uh, that explanations usually allow for a trade-off between this notion of interpretability and completeness. And so in this space of model explainability, there's always this kind of balance between how interpretable and how completely you understand the system. So I don't know. Maybe that I just confused the situation even more. <laughs> no, no, no. I, th- I think that I think that that's one good observation. But I really think that people use these terms interchangeably. And I want to say that there are actually other terms like intelligibility and transparency out there that people use. But the way that I think about it is that when people talk about explanations or explainability. They are usually referring to the methods where the goal is to explain why a model has made particular prediction for an individual example or why a model has behaved in a particular way in one specific scenario as like a post hoc step. But on the other hand, the term interpretable is usually referred to in a much broader way. It includes the methods that where you try to explain one individual explanation, but it also covers this wide variety of methods and models that are intrinsically simple. Whereas I have I haven't seen uh, people refer to that as 
explanations as much as they refer to like post hoc explanation or interpretation methods as explainable. So do you think that there's actually, as I described, the authors of this paper wrote that that there's some kind of trade-off between uh, interpretability and the completeness of your uh, explanation? I'm not sure about that. I want to mention that something related to that is this notion of trade-off that people usually describe around trade-off between interpretability and the performance and accuracy of your model. So people might say right, that... Right. Um, if you use linear yeah, regression... You, exactly. Right, right, right. If you use linear regression, you are probably going to do a lot worse than um, if you were to use a more complex model. There has... It's true in uh, some domains, simple models are usually less accurate than more complex models. But actually, there has been a lot of work that shows that in other domains, if you put enough effort in finding a simple model, you will be able to find a simple model that is actually as accurate as a more complex model. So an example of that is a recent work that came out of Cynthia Rudin's team, uh, where the use case that they were looking at was the FICO credit scoring system, and they showed that you can actually come up with very simple and interpretable model that is doing as good as a deep neural network. So that's really interesting. And I think that is just a matter of how much effort you put in coming up with a simple model rather than getting this complex model that you have no idea how it's working and working with it. I I guess the trade-off is along the lines of, do you want a description that goes into detail and is quite complete? But if you do that, then it's harder to actually interpret it for humans. Yeah, exactly. So, of course, the big uh, elephant in the room these days is deep learning. And, mm-hmm. and deep learning architectures are getting bigger and bigger. I don't know if you're following some of these new language models. They're getting bigger. Yep. <laughs> They're getting bigger and bigger. So It's really hard to follow all of them. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's 100 papers of machine learning a day on archives. Yep, exactly. So in your mind, so the high level for our for our listeners, so what are some of the current best practices and state-of-the-art methods that people are using to understand or interpret or explain deep learning models? Yeah, okay. So I will try to answer this question more broadly because understanding how a complex model or a deep learning model works is really one aspect of interpretability. So let me explain more. So when people need interpretability, they usually take one of two broad approaches. So the first approach is, as I said earlier, is where you're trying to design models that are intrinsically simple. So falling in this category is models where you can easily see the effect of each input feature on the output and get an idea of how the model works. So actually, in terms of deep learning models, there has been a lot of kind of post hoc analysis methods that has come up that focus on this aspect. So what are the features that has let the model make this particular decision, particularly in terms of if you're thinking about images, what are the regions of the image that has led for the deep learning model to make this decision? Or in terms of text, what are the specific words that has led the deep learning model to make a particular prediction? But falling in the same category are simple models like 
rule lists or small decision trees or sparse linear models where you can actually look at them and inspect the logic to understand the actual model, okay? But the second approach that is more commonly used uh, for deep learning is where you obviously still use complex models, but then come up with simple explanations of either the model globally or individual predictions that the model makes. So just to give you an example, for explaining the entire model, there is a tool called BETA, which stands for Black Box Explanations Through Transparent Approximations. So this, call, uh, this tool comes with a set of decision rules, comes up with a set of decision rules which combined approximate how the underlying complex model works. Because these are decision rules, they're easy for people to understand and um, look into them. To give you an example of explaining individual predictions, one very well-known method is LIME, which stands for locally interpretable model agnostic explanations. So LIME works by learning simple and interpretable local approximations of a model around particular data points that you are interested in explaining. So then for explaining why a model has made a specific prediction on a specific data point that you are interested in, you can look at that simple model instead of the underlying complex model to gain insights. Another thread of research in this direction is to use some sort of a visualization method to help people understand model outputs and properties. So as an example of these kind of uh, methods, a tool that was published by researchers at Google Pair provided visualizations of model predictions and how they change with updates of model parameters or inputs. And in this case, the model is not simple in itself, but visualizing how it behaves on different data points with different parameters gives you some insight and information of the inner working of the model. So uh, you listed a few kind of uh, great ways that people are, are attacking this problem. So in your assessment, uh, how, how good are these tools? I mean, so what are some of the limitations? So let's say, for example, uh, I'm a regulator and mm -hmm. I want to write a set of rules for what level of uh, interpretability or explainability some of these models should have. So what should I reasonably expect at this stage, according to the research that you know? Yeah, so answering that question is really hard. So I want to kind of take a step back and um, rather than just telling you that, oh, if this is a scenario, you should use this tool. Oh, oh by the way, uh, before you jump in, uh, Foro, I forgot to mention that actually GDPR has this notion of right to an explanation. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, okay. So um, I do think that, yes, GDPR has been one of the motivations that people mention when they come up with these interpretable methods. But I want to emphasize that actually the interpreting GDPR as a right to explanation has been really, there has been a lot of discussions around that. And a lot of researchers have argued that interpreting GDPR requirement as a right to explanation is inaccurate because one of the main arguments is that 
even if you provide explanations or interpretations in the way that they are currently present to people, it's not clear what would people do with that. So if you are a person and you are denied a loan and the system comes up with an explanation of, okay, you were denied this loan because you are similar to these people and in some certain characteristics and these people have failed to pay their loans, then the person can really ask, okay, why do you think that I'm similar to these people? Or why are you using these things? I think that interpreting GDPR as a right to explanation is not the right way to go, but it definitely requires people to come up with useful information about the decisions. I guess uh, the point is that regulators are alert to this notion. So, so somehow we in the machine learning world have, have to be cognizant of the fact that regulators are going to be asking about these things, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that there's really not one answer for all of these questions. Because true, there has been a lot of methods, there has been a lot of models, there has been a lot of tools, but there's still no consensus on how to define or measure interpretability. Because in each one of these papers or tools or methods, you can see that people come up with one notion of interpretability and their own evaluation method and metric and go from there. But really different... Yeah, actually, uh, for, uh, this raises a point because uh, for those of us who aren't steeped in this uh, research, uh, at a high level, so how do people evaluate the effectiveness of these uh, methods that you described earlier? What are some of the standard ways that people do? Right. So some people, so in the category, in the app, uh, one of the approaches that I mentioned where people try to design simple models where they can look at the effect that each feature has on the output. Some people come up with some diagrams and plots and look at how um, varying the value of a feature changes a prediction and then look at points in that plot that are not in line with their intuition, right? But how do you, let's say I write a paper and I make a claim, and then you write a paper that you say, no, my method for interpretability is better than Ben's. So how, how, did, how, did the commu- how does the community compare these? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no way. It's, uh, I would say that it's a mess. And um, that's actually one of the focuses of the work that we did around interpretability. It was around this fact that there is no single definition of interpretability. There is no single metric for evaluating interpretability. And a lot of times people, I think that it's important to run human subject experiments to evaluate their methods, but you really see that very rarely in the literature, which is really surprising, but it's really the case. To answer your question simply, there is not one single way to do it. And a lot of times people just come up with a method and they, they, as probably experts in machine learning, you look at some charts or some findings and because they understand something, they assume that their model is quote unquote interpretable. But I think that is really, really problematic. Yeah, which actually, uh, if the research community is still struggling with this question, it seems like it, it would be tough for regulators to come up with a universal catch-all way of measuring interpretability themselves, right? Yeah, exactly. And I I do think that 
my collaborators and I spent a lot of time gathering all the definitions and uh, definitions for interpretability and the methods of methods that people use for interpreting their models and their tools. And but we came up with the conclusion that part of the reason that makes interpretability hard to define define is that it's just not something that can be directly manipulated or measured, but it's a latent property and is affected by many factors of the model design. And those factors really end up affecting many behaviors in the models. And that relationship of the factors in the models that you design and the human behavior is really what people should focus on rather than just trying to come up with um, a universally interpretable model or a universally accepted definition of interpretability. Because interpretability, as I think about it, is just an observable construct and you eventually will need proxies for that. And humans should be a part of your proxy when you are thinking about interpretability. Right, right, right. Exactly. So, so for because there are so many papers that come out, right? So particularly in deep learning, but all of machine learning. So, so let's take the field of deep learning, right? So now we're starting to see papers around model interpretability, model explainability. So for people who don't follow this field closely, what is a good way to evaluate these papers? What should one look for in when perusing some of these papers? So because I think that interpretability is really, it should really be studied in context. So it should be really studied in what scenario the paper has been interested in, what type of model it has used. If they have any kind of human subject experiments, what kind of population they have evaluated their system on. So if they can find a methodology out there that has kind of similar settings, similar assumptions, then that would be great. But I would say that, unfortunately, that is really unlikely to happen right now. There are very, very few papers that discuss all these issues in detail. And um, actually, there are very few papers that really look into the effect of their methods or models that they have designed on actual humans. So unfortunately, I have to say that that's really hard to find something useful there. But if they really want to use a method in a product that they um, are designing or want to deploy, I would really suggest for them to look at run some human subject experiments to see whether the claims that are made in the paper actually hold and whether they they might end up seeing some inconsistencies and some things that are, that go wrong but i think that it's really important for them to uh, focus on the humans and if the method that they are interested in has not included humans as part of their design they should do that before they make any important design or deployment decisions Right, 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 right. So actually, uh, one of the reasons uh, I uh, invited you to this podcast is you're uh, going to be uh, giving a talk in a few weeks at our AI conference in New York called Manipulating and Measuring Model Interpretability. Yes. Uh, which I think, among other things, you kind of uh, argue that we really need to bring humans in the loop and run human subject experiments, right? Yes. Describe some of the controlled user experiments that you help design and run. 
Right. So, um, okay, we ran a sequence of large-scale randomized human subject experiments. I want to give you just a very quick sketch and flavor of what what we did. As I said, we started thinking about interpretability as this latent property that is affected by factors such as the number of features that the model uses, the types of features that the model uses, whether this model is clear or black box, or even the UI that is used to present the model. And then these factors affect human behavior. So things like can humans, how, how much, how do these factors affect people's abilities to simulate the model's prediction or gain trust in a model or debug a model or detect where and what examples the model would fail to make a good prediction. So our major goal was to isolate the effect of these factors and um, measure their effect on commonly known human behavior that are associated with interpretability. So we designed a randomized experiment. So in these experiments, we what did we vary? Uh, we varied the number of features that a model uses, and we also varied whether the model is clear or black box. And then what we did, we measure. We measured people's ability to simulate the model's prediction, their ability to put trust in the model, and their ability to detect the model's mistakes. So in the first, at first glance, this might seem super simple, but I want to emphasize that in reality, it's really hard to design these types of tightly controlled experiments because you really want to isolate the effect of the factors that, are, that you are interested in while keeping everything else identical. Okay? So, I, so, so, so actually, as, uh, as you're describing this, uh, the thought that runs through my head is, oh, so now we're entering into a realm where your typical data scientist or machine learning person might be out of uh, his or her element because uh, now we're talking statistics and and this experimental design. Exactly. And not just statistics. This has been the work that... So machine learning scientists, uh, including myself, we are really not trained in thinking this way. We are really not trained to think about humans. But this has really been... These, these experimental design things have been done with psychologists and social scientists for years now. And those people are really good at doing these kind of stuff or even like fields such as human-computer interaction. But computer scientists are not. That is why I think that this is fundamentally an interdisciplinary problem. And if we really want to make sense of interpretability, because humans are a big part of it, we need to start collaborating with other fields such as psychologists, all these people that are doing these kind of experiments in cognitive science and social scientists, because those are the people that have done these types of work for years now, whereas machine learning people have recently kind of understood that this type of work is really important and they should do more of it. So this might mean actually broadening for the training of machine learning people. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, thinking about humans is really not a big part of machine learning education at the moment. But my anticipation is that it is really going to be the case in the near future, but there's still a long way to go. And um, I do not think that the machine learning community at the moment welcomes this type of work as much as they should. But I, I do think that in the future, they will. And actually, to be honest, uh... 
as someone who just looks at this from the outside, as you've been uh, describing the need for interdisciplinary thinking, in many ways, as I perceive it from the outside, the, the approach that the machine learning people seem to be taking is that let's come up with another algorithm exactly. to solve our algorithm problem. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that is, that's really interesting that you're bringing up that point because by training, machine learning people are really good at thinking about models and what's going on inside the model, the objective function of the model and things like that. But they really fail to notice that on the other side of the story, there are these humans who are going to be affected. And in fact, if you, a lot of times machine learning people think about this AI and machine learning being some magic thing where you have a data, you feed the data into your model and the model does a magic and is somehow able to make predictions on new model. But if you really think about it more, you see that humans are already really heavily involved in all of this pipeline. Humans are actually people who label the data for you. Humans make all these assumptions about the model and what type of model to choose. And when the model is trained, humans on the other side of the story decide whether to deploy a model. And at the very end, these are humans who are affected by the decisions that are made. So humans are actually already involved in the model, but a lot of times that is overlooked in the community. And I think that, that uh, that's a big problem. And actually, to be honest, uh, uh, many of these systems, as they exist today and probably for the foreseeable future, because I think we're a ways off from uh, general intelligence, right? So a lot of these tools will be augmenting humans. So yep. there'll be systems that will still require domain experts, and but also humans will probably still be involved in, the, in, in some capacity. And so yep. I think just developing or broadening your education to include some of these other disciplines will help you. Exactly. I completely agree. As a systems builder. Um, And so, which actually brings me to another topic that's related to this uh, notion of interpretability, which is fairness and bias, which arises also because of the human impact and the the fact that these systems are affecting consumers and, and citizens across the world. But also, I think in that same set of topics for uh, fairness and bias, people are, are realizing, oh, no, there's no algorithm to help us solve this problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's also, I think, very similar to what's happening in the interpretability area, which tells something because both of these are really fundamentally socio-technical problems rather than being purely computational and technical problems. And if we really want to do something useful there, first, we need to think about the role of humans more deeply. And second, we really need to learn about what other fields have done in the area. So like fairness have been studied by philosophers and social scientists for years, but now we are dealing with fairness in terms of its technical aspect. And we think that we are 100% loss, but we really should learn from what's happening in those other fields when we are thinking about this. Well, Borok, this has been a great conversation. And once again, uh, she will be giving a talk at the O'Reilly AI Conference in New York uh, this coming April. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you. As a reminder, Farooq Persadzi will be speaking on her research, research work 
at our AI conference in New York this coming April. The title of her talk is Manipulating and Measuring Model Interpretability. So I hope to meet you in person in New York City in a few weeks. If you enjoyed this program, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn.com or SoundCloud or Spotify and never miss an episode.